This is a MacKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potterwich to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendick to the south and Meetung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm your host, Meg Bell, and today I'm at Keith with founder of Rural Men's Mental Health Initiative, Are You Bogged Mate, and spray drift girl, Mary O'Brien. Welcome, Mary, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Meg. Mary, you've just done a spray workshop with us here today. Tell us a little bit about how you got into doing spray workshops and becoming an agronomist. So technically not an agronomist. I'm a plant scientist. I used to work for the Queensland regulator in chemical use and kept seeing the same sort of problems. So decided that instead of rousing on applicators for doing the wrong thing, that I would try and help them avoid the, the common errors that I was seeing. So that's how I got into the, the spray drift world, I guess. Been a bit quiet the last few years with the drought in most areas, but uh, picking up again now. That's great. It's really important work. You covered a lot of things here at the workshop today that I think people may not have thought about before or not thought about in the wider context of the agricultural industry as opposed to what they're doing themselves on farm. Do you find that that's the same across Australia? People are a little bit aware, a little bit unaware of what's happening in their own environment and how that has an impact on the wider industry? Yeah, definitely. And I think that is, you know, one of the pressures of farming is that most people, I'd like to think or hope that most operators know the right thing to do. But the, I guess one of the downsides to farming is that when the pressure's on, they need to get the job done. And so it's when they get under that extra pressure that they may not make the best decisions or they might push those boundaries a little bit further than they probably normally would. And that's when we see issues that, are, that arise and yeah it uh, it's well I guess one of the things that I really encourage them to do is not think about just today's job let's think about in five years time so if we continue to have mishaps and off-target movement and things like that or potentially residues in in other products what are the the hoops that we'd have to jump through in five years time to use the same product or will we even have access to it so my whole goal is long-term access to the variety of products that we need to be viable in agriculture yeah i think that's so important isn't it and becoming much more of a conversation that we're having and you know in everyday life people i think are bit more aware of how they're using fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, whatever, and how much of a social license we're going to be able to retain going into the future and consumer expectations and all those sorts of things. It's a complicated world, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And the social license is incredibly powerful in in today's society. I don't necessarily agree that that's a good thing, but look, it it keeps people on their toes, but it can go too far and, and cause major problems for industry. So I think, you know, we are always striving to be better than we were last year and and better than we were 10 years ago. So that's the nature of any industry is that we, uh, if we focus on continuous improvement, well, we're going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. You're also the founder of Are You Bogged Mate, 
What led you to go down that path as well as your spray drift work? How, how did the two work together or how did you come across you know, the, the world of mental health? Well, I guess it was quite by accident and never, I never set out to start an organisation or, or start a movement of any sort. I simply told people what I thought, which I'm fairly used to doing in the <laughs> spray world. So I unfortunately came about after two suicides in my local area and watching the community come to terms with the loss of these two men who were very well known and I, I didn't understand, you know, why... I didn't understand anything and I probably still don't to some degree but I wanted to upskill myself and learn a little bit more about it so I went on a mission to, to find out a bit more and everything I read that was written by people with qualifications in mental health I didn't necessarily agree with and I thought it was definitely not going to work for rural men and given the, the sheer numbers, the, the stats around this are, are frightening and I could see that it clearly wasn't working so I just literally wrote an article, told people what I thought, used the analogy of mental health and depression is a bit like getting bogged and people in rural Australia understand what it's like to get bogged that sometimes we can get ourselves through the sticky patch, sometimes we can't and we actually have to ask someone to give us a toe out and that's not always easy to do. I, I guess I've tried to do the same with mental health as I do with spray stuff is break it down, make it user friendly how do you actually apply this in your day-to-day -day life? Let's be practical because when we deal with people in rural Australia, they're practical. They're hands-on, they're practical. They need, you know, what can we do? Show me how to do this. So that's really all I'm doing with it. Certainly not an expert in mental health and don't claim to be. I think that might be part of the benefit. You're coming from a really practical um, background with experience, but not necessarily book knowledge learning do you think that makes you more relatable do you think it that makes it easier to relate to the people that you work with yeah absolutely and that is probably the most common piece of feedback that I get from particularly men who attend my talks on on mental health or getting bogged and that you know they they always say oh we really like that you don't use big fancy psychology words and my answer to that is I don't actually know any yeah. so I can't use any <laughs> so it's keeping it user-friendly keeping it you know and I really try and focus on taking away the stigma around this and making it normal because it is like everybody is going to have a rough time at some point I don't care who you are or how rich you are or how poor you are everyone's going to go through a rough patch even if it's just for five minutes it might be five years no one's immune to this and it's just part of life yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good message. Was there a conscious decision for you to focus on country blokes and their needs in the mental health space or was it just a, one thing sort of led to another? No, I think it's, it's really probably leading on from the spray stuff is that I deal with rural men all the time and they're a, a demographic that I have spent my whole life, grew up around them, worked around them forever so I I guess with what I do in the spray world that communicating with them is is quite different to communicating with other demographics and I think it's something that I do well is is to speak their language essentially and you know I, I'm not frightened to say that in in when it comes to spray application I'm absolutely sure that there are people out there with better knowledge than me 
but I think I explain it better. And, and so that, I think, is the key difference, is my ability to, to deliver it in a way that these guys want to take it in or that they can take it in. So, yeah, they, they learn in a quite unique way to other demographics. And I guess probably part of the problem is that I learn and understand the same way that they do, mm. even as a female, but I tend to have that, that male way of learning and, and listening and talking about things. So... If it makes sense to me, it'll usually make sense to them. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's the same approach, whether it's mental health or spray drift, it's making it user-friendly and using terms that they understand, giving them practical things that they can do rather than saying, here's a big textbook, go and read it and sort it out. Tell us a bit about Are You Bogged, Mate, as an organisation. How, how do you work? Where do you go? Who do you see? What do you do? It is literally still run out of my spare room yeah <laughs> and essentially for the first two and a half years it was run out of my own pocket and I did everything from you know answer the phone and answer the emails lick stamps and do all the, the presentations I now have a part-time admin assistant to to help get through the the stuff and, and take all the bookings and things but we're still very very small very simple, very basic, which is essentially what I want it to be. I yep. don't want it to become a big, top-heavy, overfunded organisation that loses touch with people on the ground because that, I think, is what makes us different to a mm. lot of the others. That Even though we are a fully registered charity with DGR status, we still keep it boots on the ground. It's about going to... Places that other mental health organisations have never even heard of, let alone turned up to. And, you know, some of the places I've been that they, they're just so grateful that I bothered to go to their remote rodeo ground in the back end of nowhere that, that I turned up to see them. And that's important to me and that's mm. important to them, that someone goes to their comfort zone, to where they feel safe and secure to talk about this stuff. And so that sees me going all over Australia. COVID's had a few little hiccups <laughs> there, but we'll just call it the Weezer, shall we? Yeah. Um, so that obviously hindered some of my movement, but mainly to New South Wales and Victoria and WA. I was still most of the time able to go to other states, so I will go anywhere in Australia. We do, for efficiency of time and money, is try and make a run mm. of events. So currently on the road through Victoria for about three and a half weeks into South Australia and then home again. So just for efficiencies rather than just go one place, one place. Yeah, we will go any I will go anywhere. And this year it's about creating other things that A Bogmate does that I don't actually personally have to do mm-hmm. um, from daylight to dark. So it's yeah, making it more sustainable in that regard that there's other things that it does rather than me just speaking. So it's still very small, it's still very grassroots, it's still on the ground, but keeping it real yep. is very important to me. Sounds like you've got some exciting things coming up. We'll yes, lots of eye. decisions. Yeah. <laughs> still a fair bit of work to get it off I'm the ground. Sure. <laughs> Hopefully at some point then I'll actually get some time off or yeah. you know, be able to take weekends and yeah. that because a lot of it is weekend work. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of driving, which I don't mind. Yeah, I'm certainly a lot of time away from home. Mm. That kind of says to me, you've got busier and busier over the years. 
that there is a real need for this type of service across the country. Do you think you've seen, I guess, desire for your services or for the, the need for your services increase? Or do you think it's kind of staying the same and you're just, more people are finding out about you, for example? I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit of both. Bit of column A, bit of column B, mm. that more people, you know, I still go to areas where we might only get five or six people turn up to the talk because they've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And if, if they've told about it, they're like, oh, it's just another one of those mental health talks, you know, all the fluffy stuff. They're very surprised and delighted when they come to it and find out there is zero fluffy stuff. <laughs> I don't sugarcoat anything. It's very straight to the point. And particularly the men are just, wow didn't expect that so that's really positive but yeah I think there is certainly you know different times of year and different events that create a greater need and more pressure on rural people but I think there's always been that baseline there unfortunately it's it's going to stay there and while it is good to be busy the the frightening demand is is incredible Mm. and and very sad and so that that is not good about it. I mean, it's good that I'm not sitting around twiddling my thumbs, mm. but essentially my calendar's booked out to September. Yeah, that says something, it's, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Are you bogged, mate? You've got a unique way of starting conversations about depression and, and mental health. So can you share some analogies with us that you use to encourage rural men to understand and help when they're bogged? Yeah, and I guess that's, you know, the the whole bogged analogy that I used in the original article was about that it it doesn't matter how badly bogged the machine is that we we don't just get out and set fire to it and go, well, that's too hard. And, you know, we always take the time to, to get that machine out, even if it takes ages. And it was really incredible, some of the stories and the feedback I got from blokes saying, you know what, I bogged this great big piece of machinery once, and it took us six weeks to get it out. And it's like, wow, you know. And then other, other blokes are like, oh, yeah, no, I was able to get myself out, just drop her in low range way. And so the analogy works really well. And they appreciate that no one ever got out of a machine and just set fire to it, just mm. went too hard. So that really makes sense to them. Look, I use heaps of other analogies. I use buckets and, and talk about the crap that gets dumped in our bucket. And that's a, a visual demonstration as well. So when we're particularly <laughs> dealing with rural men, they're visual learners. Yeah. They learn by seeing and doing. So that's uh, quite a powerful thing. And sometimes, you know, some of the areas I've been to that have been heavily impacted by a variety of things, it can actually be quite emotional to hand those buckets out and, and ask them what's going on. You know, some blokes say, oh, my footy team lost or something fairly lighthearted blows my mind at some of the things that they will tell you when you hand them that bucket and mm. say, tell me what's been dumped, what crap has been dumped in mm. your bucket lately. So it's, um, it's a powerful way to start that conversation. It's a practical way to look at it, that they can see the bucket is filling up. We've talked a fair bit about men, and I know that women are not necessarily your target market, um, but I think sometimes can tend to be Um, or feel responsible or feel a bit like the gatekeepers for husbands, brothers, you know, workers, those sorts of things. Where do rural women fit in with with what you do? How do we help? How do we make sure that we ourselves are okay? What what kind of advice have you got to offer rural women? 
look, I think rural women are critical to this and they will often see the, the problems and recognise the, the issues of someone in their life being bogged before that person does, particularly mm. the men. Yeah. So I think rural women are absolutely critical to this. You know, sometimes they're not good at looking after themselves and certainly while our focus is on rural men and we make no apology for that mm. purely based on the numbers mm. that uh, we would never turn anyone away so if people come to us looking for advice or where to go to get help and that um, we're more than happy to direct them most of the contact we get is probably from women who are concerned about the men in yeah. their life or a man in their life so it's really critical that we get to talk to them as well and most of the groups I speak to are mixed groups with men and women mm -hmm. and I certainly do talks for just women and one of the things I talk about in my presentations is a bit more around the communication of how men and women communicate differently and learning how each other communicates. And rather than berating one or the other and saying, you do this wrong and you do that wrong and you should do it this way, just step back and say, hey, this is how blokes do it. If I just change this or be aware of that, I will actually get better conversations out of him and for blokes to understand how women communicate so that, you know, maybe she's not going to yell at you so much and say, you're not listening to me. If you just understand one or two little things that you can change so that she feels heard. Yeah. So helping each identify how or, and understand how the other communicates uh, is incredible. And I've had some amazing feedback from women who have actually cried mm. in my talk and said, I've just learned so much about communicating with, with blokes and I've had emails afterwards saying, you know, I tried those tips and my partner and I are in such a better place because I just was aware of those few things that you said. Mothers saying, you know, I've got three sons and I've just got so much better communication with my boys after just being aware of a few little things that, that men do differently and that it's okay. Mm. It's okay for them to do it differently. You look out, you might be a relationship advisor before you know it. <laughs> that would be frightening on more levels than I can imagine. What are some of the warning signs that someone's bogged mentally or if they're worried about a mate who they think's a bit bogged or if maybe they themselves are thinking they're not feeling great? What are the, some of the signs that we as friends, partners, workmates can look out for? Look, there's a, a list of things out there and you'll find them on most mental health websites, including the Are You Bogged Mate website, but essentially what we're looking for are changes. We know when our friends, family, work colleagues, when there's something just not quite right, you know, you know, Sally's just not herself or Jack's just, you know, he's different lately, that we know there's something wrong and even if we can't put our finger right on it, but we're looking for changes in behaviour. So some of those classic things are quitting activities that that they previously used to be involved in. So it might be the young fellow who quits football and there's no valid reason for him quitting. Getting organised, particularly for men, we're looking for things where they start getting organised. So even if they've been a bit flat and depressed for a while and suddenly they get happy, mm. they've usually made a plan and they're starting to make lists and, and get organised. So they might start cleaning out the shed and giving things away, all those sorts of things. They're red flags that we need to look for. Yeah, any ch you know changes in mood, extreme changes in mood, and lack of sleep and all those sorts of things, um, changes in, in weight even, so, you know, drastic loss of weight or gaining weight, things like that, that alcohol and drugs, so increased use of drugs and alcohol is another red flag. I think that's the important part of what I try and do is make communities aware that they're actually the front line and they're seeing this stuff 
And so giving them some tools on how to step in, don't wait for that person to reach out, I want you to reach in, is, is one of the, the key things that I talk about. What are some ways that we can reach in without offending, getting people offside or um, making them feel uncomfortable? Maybe part of making them feel uncomfortable is, is a good thing. What, what are some ways that we can, I guess, make a difference or actually do something, help those people? The first thing that I usually tell people is create the space. So even if you don't say something, create the space and create the silence for that conversation to happen if that person wants to. And if they don't want to and you're still very concerned about them, you can start that conversation. And it's quite important to ask open questions rather than closed questions. Mm-hmm. So closed questions have a yes or no answer. Open questions require an explanation. So things like, you know, I, I see you're not going fishing with your mates lately or catching up with your family. Uh, tell me what's going on. So it's not a yes or no answer. They actually have to explain something. So even just creating that space and, and that silence for them to fill. And we don't have to have the answers, which is another thing that people get caught up and say, oh, I don't know what to say. Mm. Do you know what? Say less and listen more. Mm. One mouth, two ears, use them in proportion. Yeah, so particularly men, it's sometimes sitting into that silence and creating that space mm. where they can fill it or they can just sit into it. I often find that if someone notices there's something wrong with a family member or someone close to them, they always want to be the one to fix it. Mm. And they always want to be the one for them to talk to. You know, I keep asking them, are they okay? And they keep saying, yes, they're fine, but I know they're not. Mm. So my answer to that is, well, make them have time or make sure that they get time with someone else that they may open up to. Mm. Because sometimes when we're really close to someone, we want to be the one to help them and to solve it. And sometimes we're not the best person for that. Yeah. So make sure that they get time with other people that maybe they will open up to them. So they might open up to someone who's not quite as close to them rather than the people who are really close to them. And particularly for women, because they're such nurturers and carers, they're like, oh, you know, I want him to talk to me. I know there's something wrong. And, you know, I often talk to blokes and they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to my wife. You know, I just love it a bit, mm. but... I don't want her to lie awake worrying about it too. Yeah. I'm already lying awake worrying about it. I don't want to burden her with mm. it. So they're probably more likely to talk to a mate or somebody else rather than the people really close to them sometimes. So it's, I guess, making that, being able to step back and say, you know what, I'm I'm probably not the one to fix this. If, if I've asked and they don't want to talk to me, step back and let someone else step in. Mm. That's a great tip. Have you got, I guess top three tips or top three messages for people living in the country how to deal with their mental health how to make sure they are staying healthy mentally how to make sure that they are reaching out when they need help or reaching out to other people who they think might need help I guess my main one is to to take stock of yourself and even if you're not taking stock of yourself and, and one of your friends or family say hey you've been really cranky or stressed lately is to take that on board and go okay, do I need to step back? Do I need to unwind? Do I need a holiday? So assessing, you know, there's busy times of the year. We're all busy at certain times of the year or there's events that happen in our life that might put us under a lot of pressure. So being able to go, look, I'll just get through this busy period and then I'm actually going to take a week off Mm. or, you know, I might need to, whatever it is you do. And I guess one of the things that I really push is do what's right for you because 
what's right for you may not be right for everybody else in your family. It might not be right for your neighbour. They might say to you, look, I tried this great counsellor. And you try the counsellor and think, that's just not me. You might need fishing. Yeah. <laughs> or you, you, but your neighbour might need a counsellor. So everyone's different. And, and finding what works for you. If you want to sit on a mountain and meditate, do that. Yeah. If you want to, you know, go fishing or take a holiday or spend time with your family or garden or listen to music, read, whatever it is you do to unwind and empty that bucket, that you must make that a priority because if you don't look after you, then you're not in the best place to look after the other people around you that you care about. So taking, I guess, stock of where you're at and making the time to do it is, I think, they're critical things. Mm. Yeah, I think really, really good tips and often we place other people's needs above our own don't we and get really wrapped up in life and I think farming can be all consuming sometimes so yeah really good to sit back take stock realize what's important yeah absolutely Mm. certainly the pressures in agriculture can be yeah all consuming very long hours can be isolating things like that it's it's knowing when when you're sort of you know I guess curling up in your own little Mm. cave and you think you know what I don't really feel like going into town to go to that event, but back what I'm going to go mm. and, and make yourself go, particularly if you are, you know, worrying about stuff that you just need to offload and have a good whinge to somebody. Let somebody else have a good whinge to you because prevention is always going to be the best cure. Mm, for sure. You've mentioned earlier you've done a fair bit of travelling all across Australia with your work. What have you learnt about rural people and rural communities in your, in your time travelling around Australia with your work? I'm not sure if I've learnt anything new, but I guess it's reinforced it, just the community spirit that's out there, the mm. warmth and the strength in these communities, because that is when times get tough. In rural Australia, we all, we all chip in, and I see that time and time again, regardless of where it is in the country, um, you know, we've got a particularly resilient demographic, but everybody has a breaking point. And, you know, when times get tough, whether it's floods, droughts, bushfires, cyclones, whatever it is, we've got politician and media going, oh, they're country people, they're tough. Yes, they are tough, but everybody's got a breaking point. So that's where I guess the strength of these small communities in particular, when they get together and help each other and say, you know what, that person usually steps up, but they're just a bit snowed under. Mm. Somebody else is going to step up, and we see that in rural communities, uh, you know, time and time again. What's next for you? What's your big aim? You've already talked a little bit about events you've got planned and a few other bits and pieces you're up to this year. What's what's the big picture? Where are you heading? Well, unfortunately, I'm probably not a big picture person. It's sort of, we'll wait for the next accident to happen and run with that. I, I'm not really, I never have been a, a big picture planner. I'm a bit more of a firefighter, ambo type personality <laughs> than, than a politician, let's go the big picture. It's, it's like, what's today's crisis or, you know, what's, what's the immediate need? Yep. And so, look, things just pop up in your porridge and I think having the flexibility or the interest to go you know what, I think that might work too. Let's try that. Mm. And if that doesn't work, we'll, we'll put down that bat and we'll pick up another one. So I don't think there's any key approach and I don't think there's any silver bullet to fix a lot of the things out there or, or even help. Mm. And I think it's the more I travel and the more I see and the more people I meet and talk to, the more I will learn what different areas need 
and yeah, just being able to adapt to what they need and, and things like that. And not only me do it, because I certainly can't do it by myself and no organisation can, but it's hopefully having some input um, or stamping my foot enough for politicians to say, hey, you know what, people in rural Australia account for 30% of the population and they matter too. Mm. So having services that are available to rural people is something that I you know, lobby for, I guess, and, and push because we, we need those things out there. Yes, they're tough. Yes, they're strong. Yes, they're resilient. But they also deserve services. They don't deserve to wait four or six months for someone to talk to if yeah. they need to talk to someone. So I guess the, the big picture is ultimately just see those numbers go down. Mm. I just want to see the numbers go down or start to go down something because, and I, yeah, I'm not going to solve it by myself, but if we can see some change, that would be great. Mm. Rather than having the detailed map of how to get there, it's yeah. like that's the goal. Yeah. We'll work out the track as we go. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really good goal to have. Just encouraging people to, to think about it in a different way, and that's, that's really what I'm trying to do. Uh, fairly irreverent, fairly peeled-back, sugar-free version that I give of, of my perspective, and I, I hope that that continues to resonate with, with men, and it certainly has wherever I've been, and, and you can get men to turn up to things. But, you know, even just equipping the ladies with that information to, to help the men in their life. I encourage people to, to jump on the website and have a look at what we do. Uh, read the original article, because, look, I've even had blokes who've read that and said, haven't even heard you speak, just read the article, worked out that I'm probably a bit bogged, yeah. and went and saw went and saw somebody. Oh, great. So, you know, if just that article can have that impact, flick it out to some mates, send them the link, make yep. them read it. Yeah. How do we measure success? I don't know. Mm. It, um, if we save one person, is that good enough? Mm. If we save 20, do we have to save 20 to be considered valid? One's enough for me. One's enough, I reckon. Yeah, yeah that's good. Mary, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. Mental health is so important and something that we're probably not talking enough about. So it's always really good to hear from an expert, someone who's seen a lot, been around and has worked in this space for a long time. So thank you. Definitely not an expert, but thank you for having me. <laughs> if you're feeling big, a bit bogged or would like to know more, go to areyoubogdmate.com.au. Other places you can go to get a toe when you're bogged are Lifeline and Beyond Blue. Don't forget to reach out when you need help. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a McKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter at McKillop Group or check out our website at mckilopgroup.com.au. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.